everybody. Welcome to Listen Money Matters. I like it in the back door. IRA. My name is Matt, and I'm here as always with Andrew. Andrew, what are you doing? What are you drinking? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What is that? That was not even submitted by me. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I gotta add. What is it? Why it was uh, from Jason from via email, and you can send in your catchphrases uh, via Twitter at Money Matters Man. <laughs> I gotta mention that. Why? Why is that a thing? Uh, so the Mad Fiendist on his episode. You keep calling him the Mad Fiendist. 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 Think scientist. Uh, and then just yeah. put a foot in the front of it. Fiendist. <laughs> God, now I feel dumb. You are dumb. <laughs> I'm going to school you today, son. I, I'm looking forward to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you drinking? It's uh, Ara Beer. So A-R-A B-I-E-R. It's a Belgian, very tasty beer. Let me see beer. the label real quick. It has like a... A bird. A bird. It's, it just looks like craft. It, it looks like some dude just stuck it on and like handed it to me. It's actually a really cool label. I would totally yeah. buy that. I always buy my beers based on labels. I'm not kidding. <laughs> That's how you know the good ones, dude. Yeah. Same with wine. If a wine label has a cool... If it's a cool wine label, I'm going to buy the wine. Yeah. I don't. That's the only way I know. Otherwise, I how, how do I know? What do I know? Dude, we we, uh, we have a Sparrow Liquors, and uh, uh, Laura found the secret back room where they keep like literally like, super craft beers, like mm. ultra ultra craft beers. So lately, my beers they have a little bit of uh, sediment to the bottom. They're they're mm. they're going legit, like a nano brewery, something like that. That's cool. Um, how about you? What are you drinking? The water. <laughs> I really, I really, I really wish I could drink coffee all day, and it didn't. I mean, I guess I could drink decaf all day, but I'd like coffee a lot. Does it? Does it affect you, like the caffeine? Uh, so I, I quit coffee for like two years Mm. once, and I was, I, I I wasn't even drinking decaf. I wasn't even drinking tea. I just quit, and because I had anxiety, so I thought you know the caffeine added to the anxiety, and then. I slowly started because I like coffee so much. I slowly started to wean myself back on it, and now that I drink it consistently, one cup every day, maybe two, uh, no, has no effect on me whatsoever. I could drink a cup of coffee before I go to bed and sleep like a baby. So, if you have four cups of coffee, what happens to you? I have never had that many, so I don't know. But I used to drink. Actually, the one day where I got really bad anxiety, I had finished an extra large coffee from dunkin donuts really yeah oh so you're saying it still does give you anxiety no it doesn't and not anymore but that was the day when i was that's Mm. the day when i said i'm i'm done i'm done for a while because i thought that (laughs) i really thought the extra large coffee was too much Mm. and i was dude i used to drink like i used to have multiple cups a day when i worked at the pool store i mean just we we would have our morning coffee which was either a large or an extra large Mm. And then we'd have, uh, at 2.30, our, our afternoon jolt, we called it. So we'd go out and uh, order more coffee. And then uh, the guy I worked with would just brew, you know, the shitty pot coffee all day. And we would just drink black coffee all throughout the day. It was a lot of coffee. <laughs> and my mom drinks a lot. My mom, I remember my mom used to drink a couple pots a day. You know, the full couple pot. pots? Yeah. Wow. I don't, think, I don't know if she'd ever finish them completely, but yeah, she's, she's a heavy coffee drinker. So that's where I get it from. I think. So she has coffee and it doesn't really affect her. Oh, not at all. It's, it's like water. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Not at all. Uh, so I'm currently in the process of reading a book. 
I am about halfway through it. It's called The Five Mistakes Every Investor Makes and How to Avoid Them by Peter Mollock. And mm. I found it when I went to Barnes & Noble's when I was doing some research for – I forget what what episode I was doing it for. Or I might have been just doing general research. And I found the book and I immediately loved it because it's a very easy read. It's talking mostly about the mistakes and not so much about how to – you know, it mm. doesn't go into the real deep dives of investing, but he, he he gives a lot of stats, right? And the first mistake was timing the market, which we've done an episode on. And I, I have to admit that the episode was titled weird. It was just called, like, timing think, the market, I think. Yeah, so it almost sounds like how we were, to time the yeah, market. Yeah, and, we're, and really the, the point of the episode was how timing the market is the dumbest thing in the whole world, mm. right? As far as investing is concerned. And that was the very first mistake in the book. The second mistake in the book is active trading. Mm. And so this time we're going to call the episode the case against active trading so that it's very clear that we want you to not trade actively. And I have some interesting, I, I read the book and I'm, I, I, I read everything on my iPad mini and I use the highlighter, you know, you, you know, do you, will you read on your iPad? No, no, I, I actually gave mine away. Did you really? You yeah. gave it away? My iPad? It yeah. was the, the second iPad ever made. Oh. Yeah. And, Doesn't uh, Laura have one? She has, she has, I think it's the third one. Okay. iPad three or whatever. But I, I have laptop, iMac, iPhone. I'm good. Well, so I use my iPad mini as my book because it's small and I like it and everyone made fun of me. I don't know why. They're like, why would you get a mini, dude? The mini's way better because mm. I'm like holding it. I can hold it like a like a thin book. It's really cool, and it has a feature where you can highlight. You just like run your finger across the words, and it yellows them. Huh. And then you can go into the section where it says notes, and you can go back and read through them all. So I'm reading this book, highlighting just pretty much something on every page because it's just packed full of information and statistics and studies and stuff that I thought were extremely interesting to share. And I and I wrote a few of them down. I want to share them, and I also want to uh, talk to you about this this idea of active trading. And I don't know, are you an active trader? Would you consider yourself an active trader? No, no. I have never been an active trader. And so we're talking about like somebody who's a day trader is an active trader. Mm. But there's some other things, too. So I want to, I want to do this. I'm a lethargic trader. <laughs> you're, a lethar you're, you're a buy and hold guy. Yeah. Right? When, and Jim Cramer said buy and hold is dead. The idea of buy and hold is no more. Well, that's why his track record is so good. Yeah, and, yeah. and I have some stuff about that. Uh, so That's why he makes all his money telling us how to invest right. instead of doing it himself and just being rich. And he used to be a hedge fund manager. Did you know yeah. that? What happened to his hedge fund? He does not provide any of his personal information. Mm, he refuses to. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Makes you think. It must be because he was so wildly successful. And I'm not I'm not doing this episode to trash on Jim Cramer, although no no it actually was random. But although I will trash on him in a second. Good. <laughs> uh, I think he does a detrimental service to our nation. There are currently 3,700 mutual funds in existence. It's quite a lot. There are 7,000 hedge funds. Mm. There are a bunch of ETFs all trading the same number of securities. Right. Hmm. How many security stocks do you think are actively traded in the market? Uh, an insane amount, I would think. So how many? Hundreds of thousands. I don't know. I mean, well, all right. Uh, no, you're 
warm as hell, lower than that? Uh, 100,000. Lower than that. 80,000. Lower than that. 20,000. Lower than that. I would, you said I was warm. I said hundreds of thousands. All right. I'm sorry. I, I meant cold. Shit. I forgot. The, I was dyslexic. That, that's why you're, you're like, I was like warm as hell. All right. I'm no. A little bit Cold lower. as you were Arctic. So what, what would you One, just recently 1, say? 1,000. 1,000. There are 4,000. Hmm. And yet they're like, imagine the hundreds of thousands of people in the stock market now, now all trading the same 4,000 stocks all over the place back and forth. And that nuts to think about. That is pretty fucking crazy, dude. It's stupid. Mm. So if you combined all of these securities, that's what's called a market return. That's like the whole gamut of everything, right? Right, right. So uh, active investment managers, right, lose to indexing. So indexing is taking a subset of the market and index and, and, and investing in the whole thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So the S&P 500 is an index and it's the 500 top companies in the stock market. Right. Right. You can do indexes in, you know, just the biotech field or just the technology field or or just our medical or or whatever. There's all different kinds of indexes you can you can get into. I believe the Dow Jones is an index. NASDAQ's an index. Right. Correct. Uh, Again, S&P. So uh, they always lose. Always. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say always, but I'll I'll, like 80 percent of the time. Yeah, it's 80 percent. Right. So. Uh, Barron's Magazine did a study in 2007 of all of Jim Cramer's picks from 2005 to 2007, right? Mm-hmm. And he underperformed in the NASDAQ by 2%, the S&P 500 by 4%, and the Dow Jones by 10%. Hmm. Jim Cramer, famous hedge fund manager turned media bullshitter on TV, Right. He was the guy who was saying, uh, no, Lehman Brothers isn't going down and put all your money in Lehman Brothers. And then within, I don't know, <laughs> however, however long, boom, it crashed. Like, what an asshole, right? Yeah. And a lot of people listen to him because mm. he's on TV. He's on, yeah, he's a talking head. Right? So Jim Cramer, this is a story that's in the book. He says, well, that's not entirely accurate. And he like detests the whole study from Barron. So uh, he goes, no, you know, a lot of them weren't the right picks and you guys got it wrong. I was kidding about a lot of them. And so they went back and did the study again. And it turns out it was the exact same. He, he <laughs> performed same percentage on all of them. And then he he, you know, he went back and refuted it again and saying like, no, you're taking the wrong out of context, blah, blah, blah. And they went back again and they got the same results. Even when he like, you know, told them which ones to exclude. Right. Or- that's ridiculous, dude. I mean, isn't that nuts? So God, I want to say right off the bat, never listen to Jim Cramer. If he <laughs> and I and look, I don't want to. No, fuck him. Fuck Jim Cramer. I'm saying it mm. because I, I really do feel after reading this and and seeing like what he's all about. He has and and even John Stewart, who I respect immensely thinks that Jim Cramer is just pure evil because he's just going on TT. I mean, he's, it's not, I mean, interestingly, I guess, uh, just because we're, we're tearing. Yeah, on I'm him. sorry. No, no, I, I just want to say one thing. Cause I was, I was checking his Wikipedia thing. Mm-hmm. So you're like, he doesn't talk about his history. Um, bah, bah, bah. Da, 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 da. during that time, he was also an editor at large for smart money magazine and was accused of unethically combining his investing and reporting activities. Mm-hmm. When he bought stocks that he recommended 
just before the recommended article came out, mm-hmm. contributing to a $2 million personal gain. Right. And as a result, he's barred from CNBC. So basically what he would do is he's like, these stocks are great. He would buy them right before he said he it. Said it. All right. the sheep go and buy it. He makes his money, he sells. Right. And everyone gets stock holding. That's their- just reprehensible. Yeah, I mean, but that's the kind of guy that he is, right? He's he's in it for his wealth. But he's not the only one. There's so no. many out there that, that do that and the that have a public is, forum and can say those things. But There's so much statistics against active trading. Like, I think you must be a special kind of narcissist to believe that, you know, there are very few people who can do it. Chances are, especially if you're listening no. to us, you're not that person. No, there isn't a few people. The people who can do it, Always end up losing. Always. That's the thing. So there well, are people like Warren Buffett who. Well, I mean, he's I, not he's an active, not an trader. active trader. Right. That's true. Okay. Right. Right. And all right. So I'll give you another example. Right. So newsletters. You know what newsletters? You, you ever? Did you ever subscribe to any of them? Uh, I haven't, but I know like Motley Fool has a big one, mm-hmm. and yeah. So Mark Holbert, and I'm not sure who this gentleman is, found that if you invested one million dollars in 1985 per the recommendation of the previous year's top newsletter, mm-hmm. and you did this for the next 16 years, you would have gained $365. What? Right. Wait, how much are you investing in? A million dollars. Oh, my God. <laughs> so basically, you would have made way more money if you would have taken that $1 million, invested it in, say, the S&P 500, and you would have been like gangbusters. But you made way more money if you just kept it in a savings account. (laughs) Yeah, at this point. Yeah, right. So that's – how crazy is that? That's insane. Uh, So there is one thing – and so newsletters, don't follow them. I'm saying that now. Don't don't actively trade. Stock picks are stupid. No one knows. No one knows. I talked about timing the market. There is not a single person who is smarter than anybody else on this planet about stocks unless they have insider information. If and that's you illegal. wouldn't go and spend $50 on a clairvoyant advisor, then... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, they say the only the only way to make money with newsletters is by publishing a newsletter. Having the newsletter, uh, exactly. Yeah, that's where and they make selling money. to the people who are subscribed. Right. Uh, now, this is something that I had to research because I... You know, so I really didn't understand... I, I, I really thought I understood what mutual funds were. So mm-hmm. mutual funds, as compared to index funds, now I, I'm clearly aware of this now, mutual funds are managed by people. Mm. Index funds are passively invested in an index, in like the stock market, right? Well, okay. So an index fund has, has a set of rules that are determined by people, and each of the indexes have different rules, you know, and then what happens is every so often they'll like rebalance or they will reassess and companies will be removed or added. So they're there. It, yeah, but but they're not ba- actively managed by Correct. humans. I mean, I, what actively managed is basically like they're buying and selling constantly trying right. to get at. So uh, there was a study from Ellis over 20 years, 80% of managers underperform. 80%. It's a lot. Do I, am I, am I, am I, skeptical or being um, naive by saying I never want to invest in a mutual fund because of this specific statistic. And I, I, but I'm not saying I'd rather invest in an index fund. Mutual mutual funds by definition aren't actively traded. 
right? Mutual fund is just a legal designation. Okay. But so, for act, example, right, quite okay. a lot of Vanguard things, funds, are mutual funds just because that's what they are. Mm-hmm. Some, some are, for example, life cycle funds, to a degree, are actively managed. Right. You know, and that's why the fees are higher. Right. So, right. So actively, ma- and it says here, active managed funds lose to indexing. So the ones that are actively being traded within the fund are not doing as well as ones that mm. are just buy and hold. Right. And speaking of Vanguard, John Bogle, the founder of Vanguard, his, he, he has, created this whole movement. Yeah. They call he, him Bo- Bogleheads. Oh, really? Yeah. So like, he, like he has, if you're an indexer, you're like a Boglehead. Oh, really? Yeah. He has a great quote that I pulled from the book, which was, don't look for the needle in the haystack, just buy the haystack. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. It's actually, it's pretty awesome. Uh, it's a great quote. They call him Bogleheads? Yeah. <laughs> so that's why Vanguard's so goddamn popular. Because the, the dude formed his company mm-hmm. based on research that he did when he was in school. Mm-hmm. And it like blew his mind, so he created the whole company. But he didn't just create a company to capitalize and make like a massive profits. I mean, they're big and they do make money, but he structured it in such a way that like the investors are the owners, so that it's all geared towards you being successful as someone who invested. And that's why I like I like recommending it because look, BlackRock or Fidelity, yeah, they have funds, and I'm sure they have plenty of good funds, but they're creating the funds as a loss leader or just yeah. straight up to make money from you. Mm-hmm. Vanguard has it flipped. Like, it's just to cover the expenses to make the fund exist. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. people like him are few and far between. It's, it's like him and Warren Buffett. Yeah. Although Warren Buffett is, I think he does donate to charity and stuff, but yeah. Warren Buffett is, yeah. he just wanted to build a huge empire. Yeah, Warren Buffett's great, though. He is. Uh, so, we're, we're good friends. We're good friends. We're good friends, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll give him a call later to tell him I mentioned him on the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, maybe he'll link back to us from BerkshireHathaway.com. Yeah, which I see everywhere <laughs> now because they bought Fox and Roach. So What's now Fox and Roach? It's a realtor co- real, real estate company. Oh, yeah. So like now I see these purple uh, Hathaway, Berkshire Hathaway uh, signs yeah. everywhere, like everywhere in South Jersey. It's crazy. Um, so do you use Morningstar? Um, I've looked at it, and I know that we talked about the star ratings and the inverse relationship between returns and how many morning star stars they have. Right. So uh, to be specific about what you just said, mm. uh, and this is a study that Vanguard did, which may have been John Bogle in his school, right, when he was going mm. to school. Is is he still alive? Uh, he is. Oh, okay. So uh, he analyzing He's da- 85. Oh, so he he's, is. He's, old, he's yeah. an older guy. So, uh, analyzing data from June 1993 through December 2012, the Mayan mm. calendar, <laughs> uh, Vanguard plotted the performance of the mutual funds for the 36 months after their star rating on Morningstar. Mm. The mutual funds that received five stars actually performed worse than those with one star performed best. So, all right, let me read that again. The mutual funds that received five stars actually performed the worst, and those with the one star performed the best. The star chart actually works in reverse the way it is intended. Using this data, an investor is far more likely to outperform going forward by choosing a one-star rated mutual fund. I, and I, the reason I find that very interesting is because 
what what happens is it's not like they arbitrarily assign five stars. I'm right. sure they have a methodology. Yes. So so they go out there, Morning Star. They see, you know, Matt Givenisi fun and like, damn, this guy's doing good. Like he has like a really great strategy, whatever. His track record all right. is proven. Right. Yeah, it's proven. He meets all of our criteria. Five stars. And I'm wondering if then you, being the fund manager, you're like, oh, yeah, five stars. And you lean back. You chill out a little bit. You, your head gets a little big and you just tank. Do you know why? Because they're being because it's these guys that are being risky in their in their funds mm. and they're trading. So they're, if they take huge risks, they get big returns, but those huge risks come back to bite them in the ass because then something happens and they just tank. Yeah, you could take a big risk and it's successful, and it doesn't mean the next one you take – doesn't mean you're a prodigy. Dude, Five. and, most, and most, most, most mutual funds, there's a lot of them close. They just, mm. they just end. Yeah. It's like, okay. Crazy. Uh, now, <laughs> uh, moving on to a couple of other things. Uh, hedge funds. Do you do you happen to have any of the hedge funds? So, it, it, in order to invest in a hedge fund, you have, you have to be a, a, a what do they call it? Not a qualified investor. It's a, some special type of investor, which basically means you have to have a net worth of over a million dollars or some obscene amount, or make two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. And it's basically the government saying that. These guys, they're unregulated. We don't know what they're doing. You need to at least have enough money to, so we can assume you know what you're doing. Right. And so check this out. Mm. Uh, now, the, only, the other thing, the other problem with hedge funds from what I've read is they are, uh, they have very high taxes because you're making a lot more money and they have mm. very high fees, mm. like extremely high fees. Oh, they do have very high fees. So in 2012, Goldman Sachs analyzing hedge funds using public filings found the S&P 500 returned more than double the average hedge fund. Hmm. According to the Wall Street Journal, 2013 marked the fifth year in a row that hedge funds lagged the stock market index. So simply investing in a 60-40 portfolio, meaning 60% stocks and 40% bonds, would have resulted in performing better than hedge funds seven of the last eight years and uh, each of the last six years. What's interesting is, um, I mean, I, I'm in New York. I, I was working in the finance industry a lot in tech. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I was for investment banks, but people would be picked off all the time by hedge funds because hedge funds would pay like an insane amount of money and right. they were very like respectable. They're like, you yeah, know, oh yeah. my God, he works for a hedge fund. Because the thing is, their fees are so high, because everyone they're... in the hedge fund makes a shit ton of money. Right. And it doesn't really matter how the performance does because everyone just makes a shit ton of money. That's the thing. So if you want to make money with a hedge fund, go work for a hedge fund. Yeah, that actually. seems to be that <laughs> seems to be the case. Mm. So this, I mean, all this stuff that I'm saying and all this stuff that I've been reading, it just makes me love the idea of the average investor even more, which is what I think. I mean, ultimately, this book is trying to portray and mm. uh, or convey. And there's this idea, and you know what? <laughs> this book is also making me love Betterman even more yeah. because, <laughs> and as much as I like. We we talk about Betterman so much, and people are like, "Oh my God, if I hear about Betterman one more time, yeah, you know what? It's important, so get on it." Because Here, okay, here's the thing: is because there there are people who email us, and they they're you know gold is the thing, or they they have they have their thing that they're going to jump into, and yeah, gold's another one. I mean, I, and it's just an example. I mean, there, there's tons of things that that people. They have these like weird ideas, and and you reread them places, and mm -hmm. 
the thing is, uh, if they just did like a little bit of research to understand like how unlikely it is that one that they would be correct or that they would even be correct if they were highly educated in investing and had you know millions of dollars of research at their disposal. And I think the reason we like Betterman is because they follow this John Bogle strategy, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's automated, and it just has like things like tax loss harvesting, like uh, just all these things that just automatically save you money. Right. It's you know, and and we are not. I would never advocate. We're not investing uh, gurus by any means. Like we're not stock pickers. No. We're not day traders. Uh, we don't. We don't look for trends or anything like that. And I'm definitely not that. Maybe and dude, like, who than- really wants to do that? You want to go read for like 50 hours on like Alpha and and M M C D I? I'm sure some people do. Some people yeah. find interest in it, just like right. anything else, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, me, not no, not at all. I, I I don't have interest in it. But I'm sure there are people that just you know the same people that like gambling or the, you know it's not something I like to do, and I think it's a huge waste of money. But they have fun doing it. So mm-hmm. who am I to say? I mean, I think it's like I said, it's if you look at it as a hobby and you don't mind losing some money because it's something like, you know, just like buying a video game. It doesn't necessarily make you better at anything or make you more money at anything. It's just something fun to do. Right. So I'll tell you like what I think there's like a a major difference because you could say, yeah, there are people who enjoy technical analysis of stocks. Mm -hmm. I'm a data guy. I look at graphs and data all day. So I want to do like a comparison. So I work at iHeartRadio, and we get people to thumb up songs they like, thumb down songs they don't like. Obviously, they skip songs they don't like. They switch stations. And uh, this behavior, in mass, you could actually determine, you know, what people like, what relates to each other thing, because it's, like, pretty static. You know, it's like, this is the song, and that it's not going to change. And, you know, this is just people's tastes. Uh, In the stock market... You can't predict because there's so there's like basically so many un- variables, an unlimited amount of variables. Right, where it's like not even uh, so you can't. It's not the same thing. It's like you could do data analysis on data when there it is impossible to draw a conclusion from, mm-hmm. or you could draw you know, a conclusion on data that has like a finite set of whatever. I don't know. What what kind of data analysis you, did you do at Barclays? Uh, so I worked for we we were called the Galaxy Team, and uh, we had agents that sat on every machine in the firm, and we collected log. We I mean we scraped logs. We saw what was installed on machines. We basically knew everything about every machine, like to the most extreme detail. What do you the, mean machines? Just every computer in the company. Desktop, uh, VDIs, virtual sessions, servers routers everything like every electronic device mm-hmm. i mean for routers we didn't have software on it we had a, a network uh crawler it would go to one router check an arp table but blah blah blah. An internal all, google ba- uh i mean it was basically an asset management tool for all of this and i don't want to go too no, deep into the stuff but what we would do is you have this insane amount of data and i find out that matt Givanisi has a very high powered computer and uses it 10 percent and Andrew Fiebert has a low-powered computer and uses it 100%. I could then engineer a swap such that we would right-size resources without having to buy me a new computer while you sit there and waste your... And, oh, you know, so it had nothing to do with money. 
Oh, no, it absolutely had to do with money, but it was relating to computer hardware and mm-hmm. just right-sizing and, you know. So you weren't following trends in how people were using their bank cards or credit cards or any of that stuff? I, was, I, I knew people who did do stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I know they, they were called quants, quantitative analysis analysts. Okay. And they would, you know, come up with formulas and they, would, they were the people who drove the algorithms of like these electronic, like automated trading systems, mm-hmm. um, which are huge. And a lot of that stuff goes towards high frequency trading. Right. But mm. okay. I, I could go on and on about that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the bottom, I mean, I, I have more here because there's more. Go, dude, go. Uh, I like this already. It's good, I'm right? Getting, I'm getting fired up and sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it's just here's a quote that's just from the book, which says, "I want to pay more in fees, pay more in taxes, give up my investment, not know exactly what's going on with my money, and get below average returns." Said no one ever. <laughs> and that's in that's in that's about hedge funds because mm. that's what happens. You pay more in fees, you pay more in taxes, you give up access to your investments because it's not liquid. You uh, don't know exactly what's going on with your money, and you get below average returns. So basically the biggest scam on the planet right now and you know the thing is that uh any at any moment when you look there you will find hedge funds that are making money yes right that they're profitable in in a short-term window absolutely and i and i think that's the the thing that's the draw i mean and of course they're they're always coming up with different strategies like i know of this one that does a lot of real estate investing and Mm -hmm. like they're buying foreclosed homes right and holding them and renting them you know um I don't know. It, it's really hard to tell. I mean, it's they still uh, underperform over the in, over index indexing. Mm. It's crazy. Like this book is like opened my eyes to uh, like uh, what about how do you feel about venture capital? Uh, so as an as a venture capital investor, I, I think you need to expect to lose most of your money. Yeah, you're you're there for like the the pink elephant or whatever. Right, that so, rare event. Right, so uh, venture Black capital, uh, yeah, also loses to inde- inde- indexing. The Kauffman Foundation analyzed their personal experience with a hundred venture capital funds over twenty-five years, because you can invest in virtual capital funds. Hmm. Among their findings, were the majority of venture capital funds underperformed the publicly available small cap index. Only four out of thirty venture capital funds with over four hundred million dollars in committed capital outperformed the small cap index, and the average venture capital fund fails to return the capital invested after fees. Hmm. So uh, you have a very small chance of outperforming small cap index, which not by a lot. And even if you do, you're going to get taxed with fees. Well, you know what it is. Everyone wanted to be the one who invested in Facebook right? when it was two guys in a garage or yes. whatever. But, the but, thing you know, is, but that's not the only thing they ever invested in. They invested in a bunch of other shit that failed. Yeah. But right. the thing is, like, you, you find the companies that invested in Facebook, they failed for 20 years, but the fact that they invested in Facebook makes them a net success. The one right. rogue thing that they just got really lucky on. Right, which has a name. So mm-hmm. that's, what, that's what indexes. The S&P 500 works the same way. It's just a, it's just a broader scale, Right. So yes, there are companies like MF. What would you? What, would you, what was it called? MF it's whatever. MF Global. MF Global, motherfucker Global, right? <laughs> so uh, they failed, but in the S and P five hundred because they were one of the biggest companies. But then you look at uh, Coca Cola. They, they weren't in the S and P five hundred, but uh, but I'm all right. Yeah, 
I, I, I kind of figure that was the case, but uh, you could use Lehman Brothers. As all right, an so example. yeah, Lehman Brothers was in the index for the mm-hmm. S and P five hundred, and there's a bunch of companies that lose, but mm-hmm. then uh, overall, all you, but all you need, like they say, like one third of a of a fund of an index fund really makes most of the profits. Mm-hmm. You know, really makes most of the gains. That's why you owe, you know. So there's two thirds that don't. You know, they're losing, right? But because you're buying the haystack. You know, and you're not investing you didn't have in to one pick thing. The winners are the you don't losers. have to pick the winners. Yeah, you're just getting them all, and you're getting. But the but the you know, it's like that eighty twenty principle where twenty percent of the you know, twenty percent whatever gives you the most. It's that whole thing where it's like you look at the U.S. economy, and it is always growing. There yeah. are dips, you know, recessions, but mm-hmm. it's always going upwards. Yeah, the whole time it's going upwards. There are companies failing, yeah. bombing out. Uh, you know. The thing is, but if you just invested in this like broad idea of the U.S. economy, you could slowly move upwards, and that's like the index mm-hmm. in, in a nutshell. So I have some real. Uh, I got a lot here about taxes. Tell me, dude. I no don't know much on taxes. The average mutual fund loses a full percent every year to taxes, according to the Vanguard Group. So if the mutual fund performance shows a return of six percent, it's really five percent after you pay the tax man. Wow. So think about that. Hmm. 1% is quite a lot. We know in a fee, it could take up to 24% of your potential earnings. Right. So that's fucking a lot. Uh, Brigham Young University professor Craig Israelson. It's like Israel, S-E-N. Is a son. Whatever. Uh, Examine the returns of U.S. stock, U.S. bond, and international stock mutual fund managers over a three, five, and 10-year periods. He divided the funds into four groups based on how actively they trade. In every single case and over every single time period, the funds with the most actively under the funds the funds with the most active with the most activity, there we go, underperform the funds with the least activity. In other words, the more active and involved the manager, the worse the funds performed. Hmm. And Warren Buffett says, My favorite holding period is forever. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to read something. I read two more things, and then we'll wrap things up. Mm. Inside an index. Oh, this is a, this is exactly what I was just saying. So I'll, I'll repeat it for, like... I'll Dramatic effect. I'll repeat it in the way it was intended from the book. Uh, I'm not giving away the whole entire book on this podcast, so I hope we don't get sued. <laughs> well, people have to find the episodes. They, they aren't clearly labeled. That's true. Inside an index, <laughs> nearly two-thirds of stocks underperform the index itself while about one third outperform how can this be it's because when a stock goes down the worst thing that can happen is a loss of a hundred percent see lehman brothers enron motherfucker global and so on so mf global was an example in there yes it was huh interesting i knew i I knew i had seen that somewhere else however when a stock takes off the sky is the limit and the return can go up thousands percentage thousands of percentage points see apple Google, Microsoft, and so on. Mm-hmm. A big winner can offset many losers. If you have a basketball team with 10 players and they score 100 points, we don't assume that half scored more than 10 and half scored less than 10. In reality, one or two players can score the majority of the points. It's mm-hmm. the same in the market. Casting a wide net with the index, you are more likely to catch the next high flyer. It's well said. So it's not about picking the one out of thousands. It's about picking the thousands and hoping for the the one yeah hoping for the one right again 
Don't search for the needle in the haystack. Just buy the haystack. <laughs> so we know with certainty. That's such a good saying. I like that. I know, right? <laughs> I love that one. I'd like highlight it. I highlighted all this stuff because it was. I thought I'm like, fuck, I'm, Jesus, I learned a lot here. Uh, one more thing is, so we know with certainty we pay more in fees. We know with certainty we pay more in taxes. We know there is no high. There is a high probability of underperformance even before fees and taxes. This seems pretty clear that maybe active management isn't the way to go. Mm. So to wrap things up, this is my case against the act against active trading, and I am a person who has bought Sirius and Pandora, and I didn't spend much on it, but I've lost on both. But you wonder. Uh, I mean, you sold Pandora, mm -hmm. right? So I just want to see. I don't real know what I sold it for. I, I couldn't give you those numbers. I have no idea. It's been so long. My point is, is that I'm very, very happy with Betterment, uh, and I continue to stay in index funds, and that's what I will ETFs. If you I had will. to give like a rough timeline, when when you bought Pandora, I bought when, Pandora at the IPO. Oh, you bought Pandora at the IPO. Yeah, that's why. Oh, that's awesome because um, you would have made money if you just held on to it. Yeah, I bought like it, it IPO'd at thirteen dollars and forty cents. Right now, it's twenty-seven dollars and eight cents. I bought it. Did it at, go down for a little bit. Yeah, I bought it at eighteen dollars. At eighteen dollars. So see here, there you go. You just picked an arbitrary stock, just mm -hmm. like you know Warren Buffett. I mean, well, he has I, a thick I moved arbitrary. my serious money over because I had lost money in serious. Moved mm -hmm. it over to Pandora because I thought that was the next thing. And yeah, it did go up, but I mean, we're talking six hundred, five hundred bucks. You you were doing like what um, p old people do in like like Atlantic City. They move their balance from one slot machine to the one next to it. Right. Well, they see somebody hits on a <laughs> slot machine and they wait for that person to leave and then they jump on it because they think it's a hot machine. Exactly, because that makes any sense. Right. Um. But yeah, it's, see, the whole thing is like if you held, you would be you would have made money, dude. You'd almost doubled your money. My favorite holding period is forever. There you go. If you're buying it, dude, you. Commit, commit for life. You still have Lehman. I do. I'm waiting for it to go back up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to buy and hold sad. it forever. Yeah, I still have it because, you know, at this point, there's no point in selling it. Not that anyone would buy it you for me. You can't lose any more money than you've already put in. So, Speaking of which, I have 400 shares of Lehman Brothers. <laughs> if you would like a share of Lehman, if you would like to buy a share of Lehman Brothers for me for a dollar. Is that how much they're worth? No, they're not. They're worth like... Uh, I think they're worth like 10 to 18 cents per oh, share. Oh, really? That low, huh? But um, if you would like to buy one from me for a dollar, just, uh, you know, email me. I'll say, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll work it out. You'd be making <laughs> money on that deal. No, dude, I would still be losing massive amounts oh, of money. Right. Oh, yeah, deal. true, true, true. <laughs> for what you I, I bought it at 60, I bought it at 90, Ugh. and I bought, I bought a lot at fives. So, God damn. Yeah. That's a lot. Uh, so, so yeah. that's, uh, like I said, this book is pretty awesome and I'll, I'll, I'll repeat it again. It's, uh, the five mistakes every investor makes and how to avoid them by Peter Mullock and it's M A L L O U K. Dude, we should put this in the toolbox. Oh, we were absolutely putting this in the toolbox, which you can find at listedmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. And there's speaking, a bunch of other books there too. Speaking of which, I just want to say one thing. I, I might've said it. I think, did I say the whole denture thing on, on another you episode? You did. All right, because uh, I just found it really interesting because when you buy things on Amazon and if you use our link or if you clicked on a book and you buy something else, like we um, we don't know who you are. But it's anonymous, if you, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, you, you know what? You know, I listened to a podcast. Uh, hmm. I used to listen to it, um, Basic Brewing Radio, and he would always say, "Well, somebody bought a you know a circular saw," and I'm like, <laughs> "I don't. I think that's kind of like going in. I don't wouldn't say that on the air." Yeah, but no, you're that guy, and you're like, "Oh God." Oh god, they know I bought a circular saw. Like, <laughs> I was using it for bodies. Somebody bought extra small condoms. <laughs> All right. You know, and then you uh, know. This specialty item only found on the internet. <laughs> I didn't even know they made those. But whoever <laughs> you are, but whoever you are, thank you for your commission sales. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you extra small condom guy. Stay subscribed. Right. Yeah. So, uh No, we mostly had like children's books and no, you, you know. No. No, uh, no, I'm definitely. Only... I'm, well, I oh, you mean as people? Well, whatever. I don't like saying what they people bought, but yes, we do have books in our toolbox. Listenmoneymatters.com/slash/toolbox. I will be putting this book up there. I am not 100% finished with it yet because I've only gotten to two and a half mistakes, uh, <laughs> and I'm going through the whole thing. And so far, it's just it's just packed with research. It's just great. That's and, awesome. Yeah, and uh, you know, I will say that I'm halfway through also because I I like to I don't. I jump back and forth between books. Mm. I'm oh, so like finishing it is... I'm in the same way. I'll get like a third in. I'm well, like, yeah, well, I get the drift. No, I don't do that. I finish a book. If I commit mm. to a book, it's done. I finish it whether I slog through it or not. Mm. You know, like I, I read The Tipping Point by Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell, and it took me a while to get through because I was mm. jumping back and forth. But I, I finished it. I read <laughs> it Outliers. very good. Huh? I read Outliers. That was pretty good. Yeah. So... uh I'm also in the middle of reading Total Money Makeover. And uh, we're gonna we're there will be an upcoming episode where there will be it'll be Matt Giovanni's review. Matt Giovanni now loves Dave Ramsey. Exactly, (laughs) has a huge (laughs) crush on Dave Ramsey. The the episode will be titled Matt Giovanni proposes to Dave Ramsey. (laughs) So, (laughs) Matt marriage scheduled one year. Or I'm in a hot tub. Didn't didn't Joe say I was? He would be weird to see me in a hot tub with Dave Ramsey. Didn't he say something like that? And then did, tweak, Benjamins? then did he tweak your nipple? Something like that, maybe. I don't know. Because if he tweaked your nipple, I'm jealous because he tweaked my nipple. And I thought that was just a special thing between us. Oh, yeah, it was. So speaking of <laughs> uh, Dave Ramsey, I want to read a, vi- a review by mm. Yo F. Judd. I feel like I've read this before, but mm. if I did, you get two. If I didn't, here we go. Amazing podcast, five stars from the United States. I got to say, I love the podcast and listen to it every morning on my way to work. Great relatable topics that help people with real issues. Matt and Andrew are normal guys that have made their share of financial mistakes, but they own up to it, own up to them, and help other people avoid them by sharing their real life experiences. While I disagree with a few things here and there, for the most part, they have it right. They have the right idea and good financial knowledge. The podcast is a great financial resource. Beat Dave Ramsey. Woo! Thank you. I. I feel like I've read that before. If if I could also just quickly add in a review of mine that that I saw that I particularly liked. It is titled it is titled Cats and it reads Need More Cats. And it wasn't a very good review. No. I am not sure how you could tell that it was a very good review or not by what I read because clearly they well, were you not, know what? They were not on PCP. I me. think it's really good <laughs> feedback because I I have been saying for the past two months since we've been doing this podcast that it needs more cats. Mm. You know, cat gifs. If yeah. we could, if we could figure out the they're, technology, they're called, they're called gifs, by the way. 
<laughs> if we could find, if we could crack the code and and build the technology to put cat gifts Thank on you. a podcast, we will have the world by the balls. Seriously, watch or out. Or if they're Buzz neutered, feet. then no, no balls. I didn't know cats had balls. Uh, we are yeah, moving on, and we're going to close out the show. Listen to moneymatters.com slash toolbox. Subscribe to our podcast. Hit the subscribe button. So thanks again for hanging out with us, and we look forward to the next episode. Later, Andrew. Subscribe. you got to say later. Later. <laughs>